This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Dexsecure. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Jay Nair and Talia Nassi live from AWS reInvent 2021. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 122. everybody, I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshburn. And this is Serverless Chats live from reInvent. Pretty exciting. And uh, we can't really hide the guests. So um, this is our guest. Our guest today and I'm bring Rebecca. Up, is Rebecca. <laughs> uh, and also uh, Jay Nair, who is the general manager of uh, AWS Lambda Functions, uh, or, sorry, AWS Lambda Experience at AWS. Yes. Thank you for All, being here. Always good to be back, Jeremy. Oh. Uh, oh, we are uh, broadcasting in the house. Yes. Going out everywhere. Yes. I always like to also be known by my alternative names wherever possible. Yes. All right. Well, we are so happy you're here. Happy to be back in reInvent. Um, and I want to say, uh, just for all of, you know, for all the people that put this event on, AWS, such an amazing job. Um, the uh, COVID protocols, everything that has been happening, like just to make this happen, make this event. Everybody's vaccinated. Everybody's wearing masks. And please, PSA quickly, go get vaccinated so that we can do more of these things, so that we can get through this and, uh, uh, and do that. So anyways, so we are super happy to have you here. Um, and what I'd love to do just to start off maybe is just in case people don't know who you are, just give a quick overview. What do you do at AWS? Um, so Jeremy, I've been with AWS now about uh, close to eight years. Uh, I was one of the original launch members of the AWS Lambda service. Um, so over the years, I've worn different hats. I started out as a, just the PM for Lambda, then became the PM manager and director for Lambda. Over the last year or so, I've been running product and engineering for uh, how developers, administrators, and operators experience um, serverless and, and building on Lambda in general. So, uh, you know, most of the things that you like and don't like about Lambda, you can blame on me in some form or fashion. <laughs> well, there are a lot of things we like about Lambda. So. Why don't we start off? What are some of the what are some of the big launches that happened this week, and then maybe we can put those into context? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great place for us to start off. Like 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 you said, it's it's great to be back in a forum, interacting with the community and customers, and you know just hearing live feedback about some of these things. Um, so we've had a collection of launches, uh, at least the ones that made the, the reInvent forum. You know, we, we try to make sure that there's a cadence going through the year. Like we had pre-invent and pretty sure, I'm sure there's going to be an official post-invent yeah. season as well. So, you know, you should, you should not count these as the end of them all. Um, so let's see some of the things we had this week. Um, so we talked about, uh, I think earlier in the week, we launched uh, event filtering for all the Lambda-based event sources. So that would be DynamoDB, Kinesis, uh, SQS and others. Essentially, you can now define uh, filters on message attributes uh, that allows you to control uh, what events are being sent to Lambda. It's both sort of a, a throughput and cost optimization capability, uh, allows you to get a lot more specific about the logic you want to push for. Yep. Um, I think in the similar way, we launched uh, partial batch support for SQS and Lambda together. Yep. Um, previously, you had to kind of send the entire batch through to process events when you're building systems using SQS and Lambda together. You can do partial batches. Um, Let's see, well, uh, this ended up being a pre-announce, but I'm sure it'll be something we get into the hands yeah. of customers as soon as possible. Um, we pushed one of the limits that um, customers definitely keep running into. We uh, we are gonna be increasing the um, ephemeral storage space yes. that we get as part of Lambda to 10 gigs. 10 gigs. Uh, previously, if you needed to push something like that, you would have had to push your own EFS system whole class of use cases where sharing EFS drives across different compute systems makes sense, but we also have customers who are like, hey, I just need ephemeral storage, I just need something that's built in with Lambda, just push that number for me. So, you know, we're now at the, you know, we have 10 gigs, um, you know, 10 GB RAM, 10 yeah. GB of memory with six uh, virtual cores. Base and 10, Yeah, base 10, <laughs> right, and then tens of thousands of concurrent executions right. as, as you kind of get going, which is, which is fun. Although, I will say, we have changed our pricing to one millisecond, so that's, that's right. no longer on base 10, right, unfortunately. So we have to break the pattern somewhere. Uh, I think all of the, I, I think that general collection's been really good from the core serverless perspective. I think I was really happy to see the broader um, announcements in Adam's keynotes with all the services uh, adopting the serverless operational model. Right, uh, yeah. You know, Redshift, MSK, uh, EMR now all offer serverless flavors, which specifically means um, 
you have uh, you know spin down to zero or never pay for idle uh, you have automatic scaling built in based on usage which for services like redshift it's it's super complex for us to be able to pull something like that off um, and you're now getting that serverless operational model uh, more and more pushed through all these services which I personally am, you know, this is one of those times where I'm really happy when the word serverless starts to mean a lot broader <laughs> uh, because it's, it's the right thing. The operational model is getting broader and broader over there. So that's a lot of launches yep. and week is not over. Mm -hmm. um, and also here you do more than like launch, right? You go yep. to EBCs, you talk to a lot of customers, you talk to potential customers, prospects, like vendors, all sorts of people. I'm curious if there's if you could tell us maybe about the best question you've heard so far, whether or not is the way the product functions, whether or not it's something about Lambda itself or one of the launches itself or from a customer in a specific use case, is there something that stands out to you where you're like, wow, we didn't think of that or we thought of that, but it's a complicated answer and how do you go into that? No, it's, it's, it's um, I hadn't thought of that, so thank you for thinking about it. Um, it wasn't so much a question that came to me uh, as a product owner, but a, a question I heard two leader, technical leaders among the customers ask themselves. And what was fascinating for me was, it's a question we have been trying to get customers to ask for a long time, and now it just organically happens, right? So um, they were debating about the, um, the, the scale and availability benefits you go from a server full approach versus a service full approach. And we were talking about the various points of, of uh, failures that you have to handle and what happens when you run with Lambda or EC, EC2. And at one point during the question, one of the leaders looked to the other one and she goes, why wouldn't I build on serverless by default? Right, and and the other person said, "Well, that's a point to you. I, I don't have a good answer for it." And I'm like, "There you go. That's the question. <laughs> that's the question that you all should be asking all the time. Is saying, why wouldn't I adopt a minimal footprint yep. service-based uh, approach to going and building and delegate as much as I can? Because they were operating for speed. They were operating for, you know, agility, cost efficiency, elasticity mm -hmm. as their business required at that point. And the, seeing that light bulb go off for them just based on the conversations we were having is, is very gratifying. Right? So launches all help turn no's to yeses or, or maybes into yeses, uh, but, but hearing that organic, like why not uh, happen is, is, is really gratifying. So On a personal level, I just want to compliment you because yep. I think you've seen that for a long time. Since 2014, you saw where you saw that question being one of the end states. Like that's, a, that's the question we want to get to. Why wouldn't I? Yep. But there's probably also a you know, a timeliness to, it took years to yep. build it into that question. Yep. Do you feel like this is the first year that question is most resonant? Or are you like, oh, well, it's actually been about three years we've been asking <laughs> that question. No, it's, um, I would say that the, um, it's been a question we have prompted and customers have accepted and processed through. Um, I would say through the COVID window is where we are seeing more and more customers go through this question by themselves because everyone's going through that realization of, I have to be far more efficient, like speed matters for me, right? Like um, earlier in the, when, when the window when COVID started, we had so many companies, including governments, uh, like the UK government, Indian government come out and say, we're building serverless-based systems for putting out COVID-based uh, testing and registration sites on you. That was the fastest way for them to build handles the scale that they wanted to and kind of and, and run faster over there, right? And you see that kind of wheel click of saying speed and cost efficiency has to come from this approach happening more. So I think the big shift is it's gone from why would I do serverless to like if we remind them like have you thought about it, they say like that's a good question to them themselves asking the questions internally. And at that point, that's the best part for all of us yeah. because if they're asking that themselves that, then that's a discussion that doesn't need, you know, the, the, the serverless believers, so to speak. Yeah, to yeah. Open, right? so. so, so I've been watching the pre, you know, pre-invent releases, some of the ones that have been announced. I'm hoping there'll be more tomorrow at, at Werner's keynote. But for me, I'm looking at all these releases and I think to myself, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like the Kinesis one is cool and the Redshift one is really cool. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. And then it's like, well, now you can, you know, send S3 events to EventBridge. And those are, they, they seem like they're game changing in the sense that now I can, uh, even the event filtering, a great one where it's like, I can do things and I don't have to have as many moving parts and I can kind of get rid of some of that footprint, like you said. But all of these launches to me seem very incremental. Um, you know, a couple more features, you know, yeah, maybe up the limits a little bit, a couple more, couple more things that can scale to zero. But for me, the transformative ones for um, for serverless were was obviously obviously Lambda when that launched. Yep. But then step functions and event bridge, like those were like massively transformative things that changed the way that we wrote applications completely. And I'm just curious, like, 
are we topping out? <laughs> you know, I mean, are we sort of like at the end of the uh, serverless revolution here and now, which is we need to get people to use it? Or is there is there a next step? So, um, well, you, you have tapped into a debate which we've been having internally as well. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state something out there which, which will, will coin some phrases, right? So, um, so first, look, look, I, uh, I do believe when a product is going through the maturity cycle we're going with there, it, it matters more that we keep pushing out barriers for customers than yeah. anything else and making things more efficient, more scale. Like yeah. one of the core benefits we've always talked about for serverless is it gets better with you doing nothing. Right now, like if you were running event filtering before and you were doing everything in code, you now just found a whole bunch of code to go delete. Right? Yep. If you were previously paying, you know, for 100 milliseconds, we dropped it to a millisecond, it's gone. You you flip a bit on it, you deploy on ARM, the cost gets a lot better. This was one of the releases with Graviton and Lambda right, that we earlier in the yep. year, right? So, uh, but I do think like if you go back to the original, you know, vision of, of serverless and Lambda, we had said um, it's the fastest way for you to go from ideation to production, right? Minimal code, minimal yep. operation. Right, like even the word, the, the famous no ops frame right, started right, out right. earlier on, and we will move past that. No we do not support here, no ops here, right? Exactly. <laughs> that that's a bad word. Um, but I do think what's happened in the phase is we had that initial spurt where we were like, hey, this is a great way for you to build. Mm -hmm. And I think what has happened is the last few years has been about making the operational model mainstream. And yep. I think we're at that point. Like yep. you look around, no one questions, oh, what is the serverless operational model? If anything, you're seeing it being used in, that term is being stretched in ways that we hadn't imagined when right. we started out. Right. But the concept of abstract infrastructure, scaling should be right, um, spin down to zero should be right, is just mainstream. And the fact that you're seeing services like EMR and Redshift and yep. Aurora and Kinesis and DynamoDB and every one of them kind of switched to that model, yep. Is, is the momentum is there, right? And I think that journey is going to continue of like incremental capabilities to improve integrations. You're going to see more of these things. You, you brought up Lambda, you know, step functions and others as primitives that came up. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing we have talked about is, hey, is there a missing primitive over there? Like we've mm. talked about, I think you and I in a previous uh, podcast, we talked about cash as a missing primitive. Right, yeah. Maybe something like that yeah. will, will happen soon. But I do think, you know, I'll borrow a parallel from the MCU uh, over here, right? We are at the end of I would, what I will call serverless phase one. Okay. Right? We, okay. Have, we have established the primary players, the models understood, we have all accepted the premise. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, just like in MCU, you accepted the premise like, yes, we have superheroes and they're part of our Suspend common life. Suspension of disbelief. Suspension <laughs> of disbelief. We are all accepted that, hey, the serverless way works, right? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's fast, it's cheap, it's, it's secure, it works over there. I think we're at the beginning of phase two, and I don't know what that looks like yet, right? Like, I, I mean, I wish I could predict, but I don't know what it mm -hmm. looks like. And I think there it is, it's not about the operational model, it's about getting people to buy into the development model. Right? Yeah, yeah. We work so hard to bridge the development model they're used to, right? We're saying, hey, you, you like writing with code, you don't like config as much, right. that's okay, bring all the code you want, we'll yeah. make it easier. I like, I think solutions like, App Runner or, or Cloud Run or others, that's the right or piece. Or even Serverless Cloud. Or even Serverless Cloud, there you go. Yeah, I love that service, <laughs> I never thought of that one. You know, they help you bring the way you build into the operational model that you should right. be. But then, the ones who have also pushed the edge know that code becomes a liability over time, yes. right? Like, uh, you know, you, the more you push that down to services for automation, the more you minimize your footprint of code, the f more these agility and scale benefits come out, and I think, Serverless phase two or serverless V2 yeah. or serverless plus, right? <laughs> serverless plus. Serverless plus yeah. is, is going to be about making that experience concept mainstream, yeah. where people are used to taking service primitives, quickly assembling them to the app they want to, community sharing of those patterns, bringing those patterns together and, and, and making that go faster. And what that's going to look like, I, I love all the innovation that's going on across in the community and ecosystem. They're like serverless cloud's a great example. I like what the folks in Begin are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, in the past, Stackery and Sam and others have tried various flavors. I'm assuming that that we could kind of play on on those particular ones, um, and and that kind of brings uh, all of those pieces together uh, for for us to kind of um, make sure that serverless we do. Is, is pushing into a flavor that, that we all can understand, right? And I think this, by the way, is one of those things where um, I look at someone like Cloudflare. Yep. Right? I like some of the pieces they're doing because um, in some ways, they're one of the few players who are also trying to experiment with this serviceful development yes. model and pushing into more customers and seeing what that looks like, right? So that's cool. Like I think as a community, 
we need more people trying to push that development model as opposed to only trying to bridge back, right? It's, it's one thing to bring people to where we are, right. but we also need to be building what's coming next. Right, so. and I also think there was a lot of gravity from, um, you know, with what AWS was doing where it's like, well, if I want a, uh, a NoSQL database that's serverless, well, then I really have to choose DynamoDB because it was like the only one that was out there. And then you did some work and you you know you created the uh, I'm blanking on the name, but the Cassandra version of it and DocumentDB and some of these other things. Um, and then you had other companies that started following suit. So MongoDB has their Atlas, which is serverless. Um, AstraDB, which is another Cassandra serverless option. And I think that that you know that type of, of uh, momentum now, where developers can come in and say, well, I don't want to use DynamoDB. I want to use Cassandra or I want to use Mongo or whatever. Now they can start using familiar tools with you know with the serverless mindset uh, behind it uh, and I think that's super important um, the other thing I want to say too about uh, infrastructure as code because you say code is liability I, 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 code is not an asset the more code you write is the more code you have to look at and this is one of the things that we're kind of what we're trying to do at serverless cloud is we also think that infrastructure as code when you have to write all of the mappings to the different primitives, that becomes a liability because all of a sudden now you go from Lambda, you go from DLQs to Lambda destinations, and then all of a sudden you have to unwind a whole bunch of infrastructure as code, and that doesn't update for you automatically. Yeah. No, uh, no I, I love what you said about, um, you know, choice that, that customers need to pull out and making sure that it surfaces in an opinionated way that they have to build, right? Like, yeah. I think the direction you have to end up is, or at least I would assert is, you want the list of serverless primitives to keep growing. Like people yeah. need to have all the flavors of everything that they can be make make available over there, right? Yeah. Like you have a slightly different model of programming model choices, use Fargate or Lambda. You have slightly different preference in data modeling, use DynamoDB or Aurora or Cassandra, whatever else right, that right. catches yeah. your fiction, right? So it has to be, you know, huge selection of, of primitives, right? Including the tooling ecosystem for what it's worth, yeah. right? Like yeah. you you have all the all the vendors and people who are out there, right? I think you're gonna have to have opinionated ways of putting them together though, right? Like I think that's where the experience comes in and I think you're gonna see more and more opinion come into experience and when you're putting together services, that's where concepts like infrastructure as code come in, right? Like, yeah. in fact, I've been kind of wondering whether infrastructure as code is a term we need to do away in the serverless world, yeah. right? Because we are almost invisibly teaching people that the services they're working with is actually infrastructure and it's not. Yeah. It's application primitives and that you're composing together as this thing, right? So should we be calling it app composition, app integration? Like yeah, we've talked yeah. about stuff like that in the past. Yeah. And I do think that's a place where I, I hope to see some new stuff come up, right? Yeah. Like where infrastructure as code becomes more of the assembly language and there are higher level primitives that sort of push it. We're trying something like that with Sam. I love yeah. what's going on in the serverless cloud space as well. But we'll see, like, you yeah. know, it's phase two. We'll see, or serverless plus, we'll see where it ends up. You know? <laughs> so in a serverless plus world, yeah. Do you see AWS producing more of that opinionation? Um, That's a good question. No, that is a good question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I don't think it'll ever be only AWS, right? I think AWS's success has always come from, from its partner and community and ecosystem. Like even the way serverless development has spread, it's required tools like serverless framework and others to, to say, hey, here's creative models for doing it, right? Like, I wouldn't. I would be the last one to claim that AWS has the solution for for everything. Like we're really good at creating the primitives and making them move faster. I do think we'll be sharing our own experience on how these primitives should come together. Like you know, we have large scale adoption within uh, the other parts of Amazon. Like you know, nearly half applications are built uh, using Lambda in some form or fashion. So you will start seeing more of that opinion show up in the way we develop. But not everyone wants to build like that. There will be teams who want to build like. Like, like maybe like they want to build like Capital One, maybe they want to build like uh, Steady, right? Yeah, right. Uh, they want to build like Branch, they'll have different opinions of how that comes together. And that's okay, right? Like I almost imagine that just like you have language selection today, and you yeah. have popular languages, you're going to have flavors of these serverless experiences and how the primitives come together, right? And just like nowadays we don't really, like every language has their own way of expressing you know, loops and variables and states and everything, but ultimately we all understand what loops and states and variables look like. Just like that, I imagine a world where functions, workflows, queues, and event buses will be just well-understood primitives that you can kind of treat differently. But the way you compose them will have idiomatic stuff that works with, with your language and otherwise, right? So, and so, no, I, I do not see AWS as the only one doing it. I hope that our primitives perform the best in terms of scale availability, latency, and, and capacity, and our experience is one that helps customers move faster, but 
won't be the only one. So, so, uh, so speaking about steady, um, so Zach Cantor, I think, had a tweet at one point that said the next AWS will be built on top of AWS. <laughs> and I think that's an interesting thing because the question is, what is AWS's job? What's their role in this larger ecosystem? As you said, uh, or as the question that Rebecca asked is, you know, if you're focused on these primitives and making these primitives compatible with all of these potentially opinionated things, because you've got enterprises that want this and you've got another company that wants that and you've got this really broad ecosystem where everything has to integrate. Um, I'm just really curious, like, the, you know, where AWS kind of falls into that because right now, if you said to me, hey, I need to um, process a webhook from, you know, from anywhere and I need that to do some processing and put it into a database. I think I can come up with about seven or eight ways that I can do that right now, all with serverless capabilities. Um, and the question is going to be, what's the right one to choose, and when's that the right one to choose? And again, I think it's part of the organizational structure of AWS with the two pizza teams and a lot of people working, you know, cross, you know, not working as cross-functionally maybe as um, as they could be. But again, with an organizational side, it's, I think it's hard to do. But I'm just curious, like. That type of, or maybe this isn't a question, more of a, a wish, a, a wish list, um, more of a wish list is like I think as more of these opinionated, you know, frameworks come out, what um, uh, what Sean Wang calls a self-provisioning runtime, um, that these sort of things, you know, that AWS will work with these frameworks to say, well, what is it that you need us to do so that you can make the right connections and you can speed up that developer experience. Um. Yes. Look, so to two call outs over there, right? I, and I think you heard Adam speak about this in his keynote as mm -hmm. well, right? AWS has to do more to help build, uh, you know, both horizontal and vertical experiences right, right, for customers, yep. right? And I think you're going to see the same flavor when you're talking about a developer audience, an administrative audience, and otherwise, right? Yeah. So uh, you are going to, I, I think you're going to see more of these opinionated uh, approaches come together. Uh, with, with narrower focuses, right? Yeah. Like I, you know, one of the asks I heard out here uh, was saying, "I wish AWS had a personalized button that only showed me the services that I use." Right. And I'm like, I, I've never thought of that. Like, don't type personalized person, into the, the search right, bar though, because right, you'll yet. get a different That's, service right, that right. doesn't do what you think it might do. Right, you know, you know, <laughs> skills skills of naming aside, I'm sure that some flavor of, of personalization right. on AWS would be something that all of us would enjoy seeing. And I think that kind of view is something. I would hope that as part of the simplification of selection, as part of building that opinion, you yeah. will start seeing baked more and more, right? Yeah. You see some of this with customers doing this with like things like CDK patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, we have serverlessland.com where you're saying, you know what, if you know nothing and you're starting with these patterns, here's the simplest way for yeah. you doing so. We're in the early days. Like I said, you know, serverless plus is just getting started. Right, so right. a year from now, hopefully we're back here and we're like, hey, we talked about these things. Look, right. we're all getting to grow up a little bit. But I think you're right though that the, the baseline or the sort of the, the infrastructure that's needed, the operational model yep. is, there, is there. And now it's just on all of these other people out there to start figuring out what are the what are the, the patterns to do yep. all this stuff and in a way that you can deploy these patterns and implement these patterns without going through this potential pain point of writing all this configuration. I, I agree. So, I will say, as as a provider of these services, and this is not just AWS. Mm -hmm. I would I would put this out as a call to action for anyone over there. Yeah. Right? You have to make sure our primitives meet the promise that we are all putting there. Yeah. Right? People are trusting us with their security, with their scale, with their yeah. latency, and others. And we have to keep making that better. We have to provide the governance hooks, the hooks for observability tools to plug in, the hooks yeah. for all these things, and. It's not so much that those have to be standardized APIs, but there need to be APIs. Those need to be interfaceable, those need to be customizable, yep. so that as people build opinions, they can build the opinions they want to bring and bring that forward, right? I feel like the, the, the wrong path to go down here would be you end up building these services that only work together a certain way yeah, or yeah. only work with a certain set of services. Like, you know, uh, one of the things, you know, we have worked quite a bit on over the last few years is loosening some of those opinions, things like extensions, yeah. even the fact that we're doing container emit support, right? Yeah, a yeah. lot of that was like helping people come from where they are, but I do think those roles carry forward even when you're looking at what people need to build next. Yeah. Do you have another question? I have one more question for me. We're running out of I time. Do. I do. I have a question, final question. Okay. I think mine's a final, though. So Yours is a final, final. Okay, yeah. mine's almost a final question, too. So, Kinesis. <laughs> Two finals, yeah. Kinesis. Um, they announced on-demand Kinesis um, at the keynote uh, yesterday. And uh, I saw it. I saw that it was, you know, it was now priced, I think, per second, I think, for the streams. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, all right, finally, it, I can tell Chris Munns that <laughs> Kinesis is serverless. And then I think 
I think uh, I think Ben Kehoe corrected me. Yep. We're not quite there yet, huh? Not quite there yet. Uh, you know, it's it's always go, good to go and correct Chris Munns. That's always a fun <laughs> sight to see. Uh, I, I've certainly had my experiences on on both sides on that. Um, uh, look. I, I think there's value in what Kinesis has launched, even as an on-demand yep. capability, right? Like the auto-scaling capability, the granular pricing is something that gets over there. Uh, Kinesis is a, is a complex and rich footprint for us to go and do so. Yep. And, I, and I'm confident that, you know, with, with the engineers who are working on it, they're aware of the feedback customers are giving. And eventually, you will get, uh, you know, my, my hope at least is you will see some flavor of, uh, you know, spin down to zero. And, and yeah. like, I, if you had asked me three years ago, would Redshift uh, end up with a serverless offering? And I'm yeah. like, I have no idea how you would even do that. And, yeah. and yet here we are. So yeah. never say never, but right. at least, you know, let's make the most of on-demand kinesis that we have. And, yeah. you know, fingers crossed in a full flavor. And I, I got to play around with a little bit, but yeah. I, I feel like there might be some automation you could put in there to turn those streams off when you're, you know, when you're spinning down a development environment right. or things like that. So, so you might be able to work it in, but yeah. So, so I think you should think about more of this as it's spin down to one rather yeah, than spin right. down to zero. Good right? point, and, yeah. And, and so, you know, just like with other systems, when you talk about spin down to one, yeah. there are benefits. It's always running, you get started instantaneously, scale benefits, optimizations that way. Yeah. The downside is that the cost number hangs out for a little bit longer than you would like to. But if there's one thing AWS is good at, it's, it's, it's improving cost structures as we go along, as, as we have seen with even some right. of our recent announcements. That's a good point, so, yeah. yeah. All right, Rebecca. So as the leader of Lambda yeah. experiences, maybe you could say you're the, the father of all these launches. <laughs> Are you allowed to have a favorite? And if Ooh. so, what's your favorite? Ooh. Um, so am I allowed to have a favorite? I, I get giddy about most of them, right? Like I remember when, uh, so uh, I'll, I'll maybe say two if that's okay. Right? okay. So one, um, I really like, this is actually not a Lambda launch and we didn't actually talk about it. So uh, SageMaker launched uh, serverless inference mm -hmm. that's, that's powered by Lambda. And I love the, the broader story of Lambda being an invisible component that yes. just makes things work and brings the serverless model elsewhere. Totally. Uh, we have talked about Powered by Lambda in other cases. We've had external systems that, you know, Netlify functions and others. SageMaker doing serverless inference on us, like an ML inference is such a popular scenario right yeah. now. Like having that as a smooth scenario, love the slickness that's come and there's more, it's just in preview. My other one uh, was actually Sam Accelerate, right? Because uh, it, it's right there, like this, right. it's, it's part of that serverless plus story where you yeah. go and say, yes, I'm opinionated about the fact that local emulation is, is not something you do as much. You, you test within the cloud, yeah. but it's done in a way that brings uh, sort of that old experience back to the new. It gives people a path to the future, right. as opposed to just saying, I'm gonna meet back to where you are. So I, I love what the team launched over there. When, you know, Every time I see the demo and I played with it, it was just like, yes, this is like, yeah. I love the similar experience that yep. you're doing in serverless cloud. So yeah, that that those are the two that would jump out. But You handled that all, so gracefully. Yeah, that was such a like, are you allowed to pick? You're like, yes, well, I got to. You must have PR training. You thought about yes. this for a long time. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> I just, before I let you go, I will say my, I think my favorite launch um, so far was the uh, serverless um, Redshift. Yeah. Because yeah. I really, really love Redshift as a data, as yeah. a data warehouse. Uh, we've used it at a number of companies I've worked with. And then when I went to a startup, the cost was just prohibitive to really store all the data that we wanted to store there and have those clusters constantly running. Um, and I love the fact that now you can get row level updates, which you can't necessarily do with S3 to Athena. So um, I think there's some interesting patterns there as well. Um, so yeah, that serverless patterns um, site is going to have to add quite a few, quite a quite few. A few new ones. You know, that, that's what the new year is for. Perfect. So, anyway. All right. All right. Well, uh, Jay, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Um, enjoy the rest of reInvent. Yes. I'm sure yes. there are some more, um, there are probably some more uh, launches uh, tomorrow at yep. Werner's keynote that we yep. will find out about yep. altogether. And, and like so, I said, watch for the post-invent season. There will be more coming there too. Perfect. All right. All right. Okay. So everyone watching, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with uh, Talia Nassi. We're going to talk more about Sam Accelerate and a bunch of other really cool things. Okay. Hi everyone, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, OpenDeckSecure. OpenDeckSecure is an open source, cloud agnostic edge development framework that lets developers jump straight into product development without worrying about setup. OpenDeckSecure has frameworks and development tools to automate web asset optimization, implement resilient CDNs, and provide you with access to first party analytics. If you need help getting started on multi-cloud serverless at the edge, take a look at OpenDeckSecure to simplify the setup and start building the product you're passionate about. Learn more at decksecure.com open dash source. And if you like or support what Decksecure is doing, 
join the community by visiting their project on GitHub and follow them on their journey. And we're back with serverless chats with our next guest, Talia Nasi. Hello, hello. Us. Of course, thanks for having me. I've, I've heard about this podcast from so many people and <laughs> I feel honored to be a part of it. So We thanks. are honored to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, it's a very special moment in time in Vegas because your dad's birthday. It is. Yesterday. Happy birthday, dad, if you're right? watching. <laughs> Happy birthday, Talia's dad. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe we can start, just uh, give us a quick overview. Tell us what you do at AWS, what you do with serverless. Yeah, so I'm a senior developer advocate with AWS Serverless. And um, I started on the, the serverless team in April. So I'm relatively, relatively new to this space, but I got started with developer advocacy a few years ago. And so at AWS, what I do is I basically teach developers how to become um, better with serverless. So I speak at conferences and I write blog posts and I um, advocate for developers and how to make their experience better with um, serverless technologies. And this is my first reinvent, so oh, I'm, this Welcome. is a momentous occasion. Are you finding yeah. it overwhelming yet? Um, yeah, I haven't really slept. I kind of keep forgetting to eat. <laughs> right. So. I did not eat lunch today either, I believe. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, before we dive into too much of the launches and the things that you've been talking about. So you were like a QA engineer and yes. engineered a lot of different places before, that sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> you've been an engineer perhaps before you became a developer advocate. Yes. And I think there's like, um, there's almost a leap that you might have to take, at least from what I hear from others, right? Where it's like to be on one side and then the other. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that transition, right? Where you're like uh, an engineer who's maybe looking to developer advocates and now you're on the other side. Yeah. Whether or not you're like, I'm in, or like, you're like, oh, this is hard. Yeah. So yeah, I was a test engineer for a few years and um, I was, as, as I was doing test engineering, I was learning more and more about what made testing effective for me. And one of the things that really um, I, fe I felt really passionate about was testing in production. And that I, I kind of advocated for that at one of the companies that I worked for. And it ended up that like I would, I would uh, speak in tech talks and do you know, uh, women in, in tech like meetups and stuff. And the, the traction just kind of started rolling. And then I submitted that talk to a conference and I, um, kind of just like became a little, I got a little momentum with, with public speaking because of that talk. Um, and so I got, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of good, good feedback from, from like my public, public speaking. And then the, the company that I worked for after I started doing test engineering, they were like, oh, we want you to become a dev advocate because you're kind of already doing it. Um, yeah. And then I switched over to Amazon. Amazing. Yeah. So speaking about testing in production, maybe yeah. not always testing in production, but certainly testing in the cloud. Yes. This has become a topic that is uh, that I'm passionate about, something we're working on. Um, and it was funny because as we're basically about to launch what we're doing, um, I get a call from um, Farah, uh, connects me with Stefano, and we start talking about SAM Accelerate yes. before SAM Accelerate launched. And uh, basically this idea that you could write code locally, you hit save, and as fast as possible, that code gets into a test account in the cloud that then you can actually connect to all these different services. So tell us a little bit about Sam Accelerate and, and maybe as a test, a former test engineer, yeah. why you're so excited about being able to test in the cloud. Yeah, so the whole idea of testing in the cloud is kind of the same idea as like testing in production. Like I don't care if, if my software works and when I'm emulating the cloud because it's not the cloud. Right. It's same the same way. Like I don't care if my software works in a staging or test environment. I care if it works in the actual place where where my software lives. Right. So um, with Sam Accelerate, you're actually testing against the cloud, and it's it's super 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 fast. I think there's like a 100 millisecond uh, response time. So as soon as you save your changes, Sam Sync will watch for those changes, and then um, you can. You can test your changes almost immediately in yeah. the cloud. It's it's just super super fast. And there's so there's there's a Sam Build, which is which builds your code, and then yeah. Sam Sync, which um, syncs your code to the cloud. And then when you run Sam Sync dash dash watch, you you, you can just like have that running, mm -hmm. and and every time you save save a change, it'll just push that up 
and it, it makes testing just so much easier. Right. Now, have you found, um, now what is the reception to SAM Accelerate? Like, what, how are people feeling about this new, like, I don't need to install local stack anymore. And again, nothing wrong with local stack. And yeah. I keep saying this over and over again. I think Brian LaRue is watching us right now. And I want to say, I absolutely love Begin and I love Architect and I love what they do to emulate that local environment for you because it gives that developer that sole package. And I think that's an awesome step for a lot of people that need that. But if there's a way for us to get things into the cloud so that we can test against you know, on-demand Kinesis and we can test against serverless, um, uh, serverless uh, Redshift and we can test against our SQSQs and all those other things can happen, um, I think that's where we want to go, right? Right, right. And, I, and to your point, I think when we make it as close to production as possible, we're, we're really giving, telling the developers how, giving feedback of like how your feature is actually going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the feedback that, that we've gotten, I, first of all, I don't think a lot of people know about SAM Accelerate yet because it's such a new right. feature that's released. I think we released it like two weeks ago three weeks ago maybe. Um, so I don't know that a lot of people know about it. Um, I have heard great things on social media. People are responding really well to it, but I I, I hope that after after people listen to this that they'll go and, and try <laughs> Sammy Seller. Right, I, right. I don't know that we've gotten like a ton yeah. of feedback yet, but um, I, I've heard good things on Twitter, so. Very cool. Yeah. How was the development experience for you? Were you involved as a developer advocate? Were you also involved in the, like, um, product conception and growth of SAM Accelerate? So I think SAM Accelerate has had the, the birth of it, the uh, conception of it started a long, long time years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. So way yeah. before I was at, at AWS. Um, but I know on my team, Eric Johnson was very, very tightly, tightly uh, close to this. So hi, Eric, if you're watching. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he. This is this is a this is in, in Eric's wheelhouse. I know he was he was a part of that. Yeah, because I'm wondering if they if they got to test on you all. I'm sure. Before. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they did, and and also like AWS wouldn't go through all of that if it wasn't something that customers were asking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's it's definitely something that we had to get feedback for that like customers asked for it and they wanted it and and that's why it was one of the biggest biggest things that we launched. So you recently, just yesterday actually, I think, spoke at the on stage with uh, David Richardson. Yes. And um, will you tell us a little bit about what your specific role was yeah. on stage? Yes. Yeah. So, um, okay. So there were two demos that I did for the serverless keynote. Um, the first demo I did was Sam Accelerate, where I demoed um, a few different commands. I demoed Sam Build, Sam Sync, um, and then I did Sam Sync with uh, State Machines. Um, and then the second demo I did was Step Functions Workflow Studio, the new Visual Workflow Studio, which I've, I think in every <laughs> yeah in in every single talk that I've done at reInvent, um, five total, all, all of them I talk about the Step Functions Workflow Studio. So uh, it's it's a really it's a really impactful impactful feature. I think it's for those of you who don't know the Step Functions Workflow Studio is. A new visual experience that gives developers the ability to visually and intuitively build your workflows, um, and it's it's just an easy, intuitive UI to understand how to connect different services. So you don't have to worry about like configuration code or workflow definitions. You just focus on um, your business logic, and you don't have to worry about like how to how to connect connect the dots. So I know that you, Jeremy, I'm cutting you off. I have one more. No, okay, no, uh, go ahead. So I know that you prepared quite a bit for your presentation yesterday on stage. Yeah. And I do think that there are plenty of engineers who would also be wonderful developer advocates, yeah. but there's like something that's a little scary. And I think public speaking for a lot of people is quite scary. So maybe do you have any tips about like, hey, when you're about to get on stage for the first time, I know that wasn't your first time, yeah. but you're, you're about to get on a big stage. Is there anything that you do to help you feel like really confident to get on that stage. Yeah, so there's two things. One, you just have to be really, really prepared. You know, the more prepared you are, the more you rehearse, the more you practice. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be a good thing. And also, it, I, I feel like you should only really speak about things that you're really passionate about. If, if you're if you're passionate about what you're talking about, you're not gonna be as nervous as as if you're talking about something that you don't really care about. So I feel like the more that you are into it, the more that you're passionate about what you're talking about. Um, it's gonna make it a lot a lot less scary. Um, so I was gonna say, uh, as proof of life, or to prove that we're live, Brian did get back to me. 
He says, thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, we totally agree. These things are complimentary. SAM Accelerate is brilliant, and we are very much looking forward to deleting our emulation layer someday. Wow. So that is, uh, but I think that is the future, and thank you, Brian, for that. Because I think that is the future. That is the idea to say, if you can quickly get code and infrastructure to spin up, and be in that environment for you, the fidelity there is just amazing, right? Exactly. But I, but I, again, I want to say, I love what LocalStack did, because they filled the gap that is, it's so hard for a lot of people who are building serverless applications to get their code into a state where they can actually test it. Um, and it's just such a great, it's such a great forward step to that. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, because you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the step flow functions, uh, step, step functions uh, workflow studio. Okay, I, I'll get it. Um, but yeah, so the, the idea behind that um, and just this overall user experience, um, and I know you don't work on the Amplify team, uh, you know, Ali and a bunch of other people, we had, we had them on the show um, to talk about the amazing things that Amplify is doing, but really for you, are, are you seeing that developer experience, these pieces are just starting to fall into place? We were talking a little bit with Ajay about this, yeah. you know, this idea of like, where's AWS's role? But I mean, what are your thoughts on where this is going and are you, you feel like this is all going in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. So what happened was um, in my breakout yesterday, there were two themes that I kept coming back to. Serverless development is getting easier and faster. Mm -hmm. With every launch that, that, our, that the serverless team releases, I feel like it does one of two things. It either makes serverless development easier or faster. And I, yeah. I talked about that a lot yesterday in my breakout. And, and the Step Functions Workflow Studio is a great example of that, where it's going to speed up how fast, um, it's going to speed up how how you're, you're developing your um, state machines, and it makes it easier because it has like this great visual UI. Um, that's just another way that, that serverless development is, is becoming easier and faster. Right. And, and same with Sam Accelerate. I mean, you're, it's so much easier to test, it makes it faster to test. I think those are the two themes that we're gonna, that we're gonna continue to see in, in serverless development. Love that. Yeah. Since you've been, this is your first reInvent, so I'm sure you're, I mean, I'm always overwhelmed no matter how many years I've been here. Um, <laughs> Is there any emerging trend that you're hearing from either customers or or vendors or um, or at breakout sessions or workshops that you're like, oh, I think that's where we need to go next? So have you kept hearing kind of the same a same pain point or a same like drumbeat? I guess. I've so what I've heard from from my colleagues is that you know previously at at, at reInvent um, a lot of the questions that 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 people have gotten have been more like low level, like what's serverless, like how do you develop with Lambda, like very kind of um, broad questions. And the questions that we're getting now are very, very deep, like 300, 400 level, like how do I build this thing with this yeah. service and this? And like they're very, like much more complex yeah. now. I feel like that means that people are like utilizing ser serverless more and more and they're, they have like more hands on. I mean, I feel like the past couple years with COVID, like everyone just kind of it was like in a deep right. learning. Right. A lot of videos, know? a lot of content exactly. created. Yes, right. absolutely. So so I think people are getting into it a little bit more now and, and it's not about like what's serverless or what's Lambda. It's more yeah. about like I want to build this specific thing with these services and tell me what the best way is and all right, so well, speaking of some deep 400 level questions, let me see yeah. if I can throw one at you here. Yeah, so, let's go deep. Um, yeah. event, event filtering, yes. right, which uh, Jay mentioned uh, briefly. Um, tell us what event filtering is. Yeah, okay. so. With um, with events that, that get put onto a stream, so I'm talking about Kinesis, I'm talking about uh, DynamoDB streams, um, and SQS streams. So basically, anytime before event filtering, anytime an event was put onto a stream and and uh, put into the Lambda function, every single event that was put onto the stream would would trigger the Lambda function. Now with event filtering, you can say like I only want this type of event to trigger that Lambda function. It could be like an attribute of the event. It could be like something inside the event. Um, it could be like the, the example that I that I gave yesterday was think of like a Peloton race. In a Peloton race, you have um, events firing at every second, and each event has like a ranking of how you're doing in the race. So like at second five, I could be ranked twelve, but at second ten, I could be ranked three. So, One. Right. <laughs> yeah. So and and so let's say that I wanted to do something where I, I wanted to get the ranking at the end at the end of the race. Yeah. And I didn't care about the ranking at you know in the beginning. So before event filtering, every event that would come onto the stream would trigger the lambda function and you're paying for all of those invocations. Yep. So now with event filtering, you can filter so that, you know, if you have like a final attribute, if if you are if you're only checking for like final equals true, then 
then the all the other events like don't matter. Right. Lambda doesn't care about like you know this second this event. It only cares about like the final event. So right. it's it's going to dramatically reduce the number of times your Lambda function is invoked. It's going to save you money. It's going to it's going to cause your whole applications to run faster. Right. Overall, is there any like paradigm shift you have to educate people about when starting to use event filters? Um, I don't think it's necessarily with event filters. I think it's just events in general are so different than like APIs. So it's just a different way of thinking. I think once you once you nail like events and you really under, understand the, the concept of an event, then event filtering kind of like fits into your your workloads more than than you know than you would. You were using like APIs, for example. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it fits. It fits really nicely into event-driven architecture. Yeah, so I'm going to get into the 400 level okay, question. I think now. you have another okay. 400. So, yeah. Um, yeah. well, so so now this this you know there was workarounds in the past. So before you'd be reading off a DynamoDB stream, I would read every event into that DynamoDB stream, and then if I wanted something else to happen um, as a result of a created or it matches some event pattern, or whatever, I would go ahead and I would maybe use um, you know the Lambda API, and I would do it. Asynchronous invoke some routes, or yeah. I put or, it on a bridge. Or you in the lambda function. In the lambda function, I'd write a whole big, that. you know, right. big like, thing, and I wouldn't be able to isolate it. And maybe I get a lot more creates than I get updates and deletes. And right. now I have to scale all those things, and I'm competing with services. Maybe I dump it into a event bridge, and then I lose ordering and all kinds of stuff like that. So the, the interesting thing about the way um, that this works now is I think, and maybe this isn't a question. Maybe I'm just making a statement. <laughs> this is Jeremy's um, favorite. Right, this is what I this is what I tend to do. I'm like, let me see if I can find a question in there. Um, no, but so uh, this is something that I, I figured out too, is when you say you save money because you're only invoking it when those events come down, you're also saving money in that you're not reading everything off the stream anymore. And I've confirmed this with a few people that you're not reading off the, everything off the stream anymore, that the Lambda Polar itself will eat all those costs and only charge you for the ones that actually get delivered. Right. So you could be using a Kinesis stream, for example, for a lot of like clickstream data, um, but you're only interested in certain events that you want to do something with the Lambda. Now you may have five or six Lambdas, each one does something different, all reading off the same stream, um, but you're only getting charged for the actual ones that invoke the Lambda functions right. as opposed to everything. So, right. and also, I, I haven't played around with batching yet. Oh, there's my question. How does batching hey. work with, uh, with the event filtering? Yeah, so right now, what, what happens is you filter your events and, and then your events get batched up into one into ah, where they're supposed okay. to go, and then it gets gets sent to the Lambda function. Ah, so you can still, so if I still wanted like a batch of 100 or whatever, yep. it will still, it'll compile those even yep. based, okay. Yep. Very cool. All can right. you also, this might be a very uh, 100 question, so sorry if I'm taking it back there, but. Oh, that's fine. Could you also decide to say event filtering I on this Peloton race? I want to be able to return this every 10 seconds or every one minute, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I don't want to return it every second. Yeah. And then you to can... the end user, do they end up only, they just, feel it as saying like, oh, it, it takes 10 seconds to update before it tells me. Yeah, you can configure that. All of that, yeah. yeah. batch sizes and like batch time windows or something like that? Is that yeah, I think there's a default, and you, but right. you can configure it. Yeah. That makes Very sense. Interesting. Everything configurable. Yeah. All right, so. Um, I think you had another 400 in there, Jeremy. I maybe had another 400. I want to queue up that last um, one for you. What did I, what did I want to talk about? Um, Oh, so we, we didn't get a chance to talk about all the different things with uh, Jay because we kind of kept it a little bit higher level. Um, but what about like uh, batch published to SNS topics? We that did actually get to where we were going. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so, all right. I know with, with batch published now, there's a new batch published API for SNS that yep. matches what SQS did um, a while ago. So now you can publish mes messages in batch with SNS and it again, it saves you money and it, it makes your development faster. Right, right. So. There's two days left. No, let's see. What day is it today? Wednesday. I don't even know. I don't know. There's like two days left. I don't know what day. Where might right people now. find you for the rest of reInvent? Um, the rest of, okay, so I'm doing a workshop tonight, and the workshop is. Uh, it's a small one, right? The hands on workshops where it's like 50 people? No, it's like a 400 person workshop. Oh, wow. Wow. It's a party. You're hosting a party tonight <laughs> with computers. Yeah. Oh, it's on serverless image processing. Oh, um, nice. Very we're cool. using the new Visual Workflow Studio from Subfunction. Very nice. I you can't. I I know where I'm supposed to be at what time. But, uh, <laughs> so wait, what time is that and where is it? It's uh, six fifteen at the Venetian on the second floor. Okay, cool. Yeah. Love it. Well, all right. So 
we're running out of time, so we just have to tell our listeners. Well, first of all, thank you so yes, much for being here. Thanks Super so much. excited. Welcome to AWS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always great. I love that getting you know more people on the serverless uh, team and people, especially people pushing testing in the cloud. I love it. I love it a lot. Yes. Um, yeah. Anyways, but we have charity majors testing and production. Right. Exactly. Testing production. Deploy on Fridays. Um, testing production. Yes. So Rebecca. Deploy at any time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, so Rebecca and I, we are going to take a break for the winter. Uh, we're gonna take us to holidays and all that kind of stuff. We're gonna go into a bear den. Going, yeah, right. We're gonna eat a lot of stuff. We're right. gonna hibernate. Right. Well, I don't need to eat anymore. COVID and bread killed me. <laughs> so, um, but but we are gonna take a, a break for two months, and we'll be back in February, um, and we're gonna have all new episodes. And I don't know. Cross your fingers for Werner. We've been trying really hard. At Werner. <laughs> if you are watching. It, Travis, it, if you're watching. Travis and Lisa. Lisa? Right, right um, exactly. So it could happen. We're super excited about it. Um, well, a few things. Yeah. One, thank you to all of our guests. Absolutely. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you, Jeremy, for asking me to be a co-host. Thank you for, for accepting. And, of course, <laughs> yes. And then uh, when we come back in February, if you all have guests that you would love to hear from, Werner, um, please let us know because we are preparing and we'll be prepared in February, but we are happy to hear from you all who you want to hear from. Right. Amazing. Anything else you want to add? I totally just... No, just, uh, I mean, it's been great. We, you know, we've done, what, 15 episodes this uh, fall? 15? Something like that. 2,800? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's been a lot, whatever it is. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing, but um, this has been super fun. I'm looking forward to keep doing this with you um, and having more great guests like Talia and uh, Ajay and just uh, Werner, um, you know, and all kinds of things like that. <laughs> and it's, Werner it's, for uh, us? It's Werner. <laughs> at Werner. <laughs> it's gonna paging, be, paging. Right. It's going to be great. Great. So anyways, thank you everyone. Um, and we will, uh, we'll see you on Twitter, but um, we'll be back with new episodes in February. And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Ajay Nair and Talia Nassi for being our guests this week and to our sponsor, Dexsecure. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 122. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter, at Becca Odele, and me, at Jeremy underscore Daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. We're taking a winter break, but we'll be back with all new episodes on February 7th, 2022. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next year.